Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day number 306, and that brings us to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day, another chapter of your word, another opportunity to learn from you. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would prepare the soil of our hearts to receive your word. Even now, as it is read and we hear it, we pray that it would find good soil in our hearts, that it might bring forth fruit for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 10. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and to its king, as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Priam, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heavens and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makedah. 
And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp of Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they had brought out those kings to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. They came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves, and they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, and he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna, and the Lord also gave it and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword, and every person in it, he left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish, and laid siege to it, and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel, and he captured it on the second day, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and every person in it as he had to Libna. Then Horam the king of Gezer came to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until none, until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought with it, and they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and he devoted every person in it to destruction that day as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Eglon, and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Deber and fought against it, and he captured it with its king and all its towns, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. Just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and to its king, so he did to Deber and its king. So Joshua struck the whole land 
the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the hill country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Well, that's Joshua chapter 10, a little bit longer chapter. And you may have gotten lost in a sea of names and places that may have been uh, very challenging and difficult for you. So here's a map that might help you with a little bit of this. This is a lot of these places, honestly, we don't 100% know exactly where they were. And so um, it's hard to say with exact certainty. So what you'll see on here is probable map, you know, probable route of the Amorite attack on Gibeon, the route of the Israelite pursuers of the Amorites, the city captured by the Israelites, right? So you'll see that reflected here as this is all dealing with probabilities here because we just don't know for sure um, because of, you know, this happened a long, long time ago and names of places change and things get buried in the dust. But crossing the Jordan River, coming to Jericho first, right? And then Ai and Bethel are a little bit north of Gibeon. So they were up at Ai and Bethel and then the men from Gibeon came north from Gibeon. And then Gibeon was attacked and they went south and they delivered Gibeon from the five kings who came up against them. And then they work their way south and they go to Jarmuth, Libna, Lachish, Makeda, Hebron, Eglin, Debir. And again, the ones with the question mark, we're not exactly sure. The ones without the question mark, we have more certainty that that's where they were. But basically they're making their way around, you know, in this, in this sort of um, half circle to go. And what happens is all five of these kings come up against Gibeon and they rout them all. And then all five of the kings are <coughs> um, sealed up in a cave. But the remnants of their armies all go back to their cities of refuge and lock themselves in. So there are fighting men still in these walled cities. And, you know, it's easy enough for them to just pick another leader and come back out after them. So they have to go and they have to take care of them one at a time. So sometimes a map is helpful just to see where things are. Um, and so that's that's what's going on here. One of the towns that they do not capture, even though the king is mentioned here, is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is actually not going to be captured by Israel until hundreds of years later under King David. Okay, we bring back the text now so you can see uh, as we go through this scripture together. Um, what What is the point of what's happening here in this passage? Well, we see, first of all, we have to keep in mind the context, right? This is an Old Testament story. This is an Old Covenant context. The kingdom of God in the Old Covenant is visibly manifested in the world as the nation of Israel. We live in a New Covenant age. And in the New Covenant age, the kingdom of God is visibly manifested in the world as the church. So Israel of the Old Testament corresponds to the church in the New Testament. Israel was an earthly geopolitical nation state with a ruler and an army and land and territory. 
The church is not that. The church is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight. So we're no longer to engage in this kind of holy war where we go pursuing enemies and killing them and taking their cities and stuff like that. We shouldn't do that. Sadly, throughout church history, there have been a number of times when people have thought this is what we were called to do. Around the year 800, uh, Charlemagne became the first Holy Roman Emperor, and he went up to the Germanic tribes and forced them to convert at the point of the sword. Basically told them, you know, become Christians or we'll chop your heads off. That's not the way you do evangelism. Uh, a couple hundred years later, the Crusades were launched in 1095, and Pope Urban said, you know, we're going to go and we're going to recapture the Holy Land for Christ. And that's not what Christians should do either. And the Pope actually put the city of Jerusalem under the ban in 1099, and they killed every man, woman, and child, thinking they were following the example of the conquest of Canaan. But the conquest of Canaan was a one-time event to establish the nation of Israel in the Promised Land, to, to rid the land of these enemies. And these were evil people. Like I said, they practiced child sacrifice. They practiced human trafficking. They were, they were oppressors. They were violent. Um, they were horrible people. And God was tolerant with them and patient with them for hundreds of years until their sin was full. And God said, uh, he makes reference in the prophets to how the land vomited out its inhabitants because their, their iniquity of, of shedding the innocent blood was so, so great. So God had just cause. God himself ordered this. God himself was asking his people to do this in order to clear the land so that they could have this establishment. We are a spiritual kingdom, but we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And we are to be engaged in missions and evangelism, church planting, gospel proclamation, making disciples, advancing the kingdom of God through the church on earth, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through evangelism and discipleship and church planting, we are to be actively involved. And so one of the things we can get out of this chapter is we see that God's people were zealous and energetic and pursuing. And I think sometimes we're just that dumb lazy, like we're just content complacent, right? We're just, we complain, but then we're too complacent to actually go out and do anything, to actually preach the gospel, to actually reach out to our neighbors, to actually send out missionaries to unreached areas of the world, to actually proclaim the gospel through whatever means we have at our hands. And I know that can be me too. I'm not just saying you, I'm saying that's me too. Sometimes it's easier just to sit at home and, and be complacent and be content. And you see the culture around us decaying and people walking away from the Lord. And we're not out there vigorously engaged in the right kind of God glorifying spiritual warfare, which is gospel proclamation gospel demonstration through word and deed to show forth the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ through the church. So I think that's the call for us here is to realize that the same zeal and energy, if they could have the zeal and energy in an Old Testament context where they didn't even have the fullness of the gospel, they didn't understand the glory of God manifested in Jesus Christ as fully as we do. They didn't know about salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life and resurrection from the dead. They didn't have as good and full a gospel to proclaim as we do. We should be all the more motivated to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and take people by the power of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God and to see them set free from their captivity 
to the oppressive forces of the world. That's the lesson that we should get from this for our world today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the energy and zeal of Joshua and the leaders of Israel during this generation. Thank you that they were faithful to pursue. Thank you that you answered them in miraculous ways by even having the, the sun stand still at Gibeon for hours extra so that they could pursue the enemy. Father, give us the same zeal, even greater zeal, to pursue the enemy who has hearts locked in darkness. May we proclaim the gospel with energy and zeal. May we take Christ to the nations. May we, may we engage with our neighbors in evangelism and love. And may Christ be glorified through his church in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me for day 306 of our three-year journey through God's Word. We're going to be in the Psalms tomorrow. Uh, Psalms 46 and 47, I believe. So I hope you can join me for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.